How's everyone doing today? It's okay. Come on, guys. How are you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm a little bit red today, like a lobster. I was in the sun too long yesterday. I don't know if I even look red to you. Do I look red? I was almost tempted to shave my mustache yesterday, but I thought that would be problems because now I will definitely look like I've been drinking milk all weekend. And my son, Zeke, my youngest son, said to me yesterday, he says, uh, my, my son, Zeke, says some profound questions. He said, um, Dad, when you go to heaven, do you stay the same age for the rest of eternity? I was like, wow, that's a great question, isn't it? Do we stay the same age? And I said, I'm not sure. I said, probably we will be the prime version of ourselves. So me right now, I'll probably stay exactly as I am. But I said, maybe for you, maybe you will be prime when you're 25. So maybe when you go to heaven, you'll be like a 25-year-old and you'll be in your prime. And then he asked the question. He says, Dad, we used to have a moustache in heaven. <laughs> and I said, would you like me to have a moustache in heaven? He goes, mm, no, nah, not really. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's harsh, man. So um, just as we were worshipping then, I, I've got some thoughts this morning that I want to share on kindness. We're in a, a series called The Orchard where we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, thinking about our behavior. And I felt God just segue my, my soul just a little bit. I don't do this often because it kind of, um, I just feel like the Lord wants me to be vulnerable with you today um, in a way that I don't overly feel comfortable being because um, generally when you preach, you preach your victories, not your, not your challenges. You preach, you know, the things that you're doing where you're just like, where you feel like you've kind of got some mileage or some history and you're kind of going, yeah, I've known victory in this area. Um, but just this morning, I just felt really compelled to kind of just share something that kind of God's been speaking to me about. So this is kind of really fresh for me. And so no judginess, okay? No judginess. Because I think sometimes, I'm sure you don't in this church because you know me well enough to know that I ain't perfect. But sometimes um, we put pastors and ministry leaders and preachers on pedestals and forget sometimes that they're still human and they're still kind of on this journey of faith, just as you are. And so, um, although you probably just think, man, that Dom is really smashing it out the park in life and holiness. I know you don't think that, but if you were you know, actually, no, I'm kind of navigating my, my own challenges and my own temptations and my own struggles. And often when I preach, because I preach so regularly, I'm trying to preach the things that I can preach with integrity. Um, but this, I just feel God give permission to just speak to this just for a moment. And I'll tell you what happened. Um, I, I, I was getting a bit miserable a few weeks ago about um, basically, honestly, uh, the church building situation. Um, can I get another mic? Yeah, I was getting a little bit kind of frustrated because um, since we've come out of lockdown and we're back in Magna, pretty much every single Sunday without fail, um, me and Richard um, have been going to get the trailer in the morning on a Sunday morning and then um, basically with the help of a small team try and get this venue set up. And at this point, you just go, ah. Oh. And I was like, flip. I was like, I'm so bored of this. Literally so bored of it. I'm like, ah. Oh. Like before COVID, it felt like, you know, I was a bit more freed up to focus on the stuff that I feel called to do, like preaching and pastor and stuff. But now I feel like sometimes I've got a bass drum on my back, a harmonica in my mouth, a guitar on my front, 
trying to be the jack of all trades, setting up microphones, mixing the sound, coming down, preaching a message, running over time, getting a rebuke from the team after service, and just like, damn, bring it in just a few more minutes. Just make it like 25 minutes shorter. So I'm going to do that today. Um, yeah, shut up. Right. And so like, I'm just like, and it all culminated in this moment a few weeks ago when Louise was preaching, right? And she was preaching, and I'd literally sat in the chair, and the question I asked the Lord was, what's the point? Now, that sounds horrendous about Louise's ministry, doesn't it? That it took Louise's message on love for me to sit in a chair and just like, oh, I'm so tired, Lord. Seriously, what's the point? Uh, Louise's message was impeccable. It was a great message, and it wasn't related to that. It was just the fact that for the first Sunday in a while, I was able to come out over this side and sit down and just feel like the weight of like, oh, this is so exhausting. What's the point? (laughs) Well, thanks for coming this today, guys. It is so good, hasn't it? I hope you feel blessed and encouraged and edified. And um, I, I kind of, I'm quite a steadfast, stable person in the sense like I'm quite level. I'm not really given to extreme highs or valley lows. I'm kind of just steadfast like this. So I'm able to compartmentalize all that irritation, all that frustration, and then jump back on the keyboard or the drums, whatever it is I'm doing today, and then after the service, coil up cables and wheel boxes out, put them onto the trailer, take it back, and just try to do a typical man thing, which is just like put it back in the box, push it to the side, and never open that box again. Just leave it, let it fester. But after the service, um, it's annoying, isn't it, when God speaks to you through somebody specific. And um, it was Helen Goldenberg came up, and she says, I feel like God wants me to give you this verse. And it was Galatians 6, verse 9. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to open them. I'm not sure what scriptures will be on the screen today. Um, But Galatians 6, verse 9, Paul's saying, don't become weary of doing good. It was that Sunday. I was like, oh, but I'm so weary. So weird. Does anyone ever feel weary of doing good? Anyone feel that? Just like, I don't want to be good anymore. I, don't think, I haven't seen Breaking Bad, I promise. But I've heard the premise, just like this middle-aged guy who just loses the plot and just has this alter ego where he just goes and causes cats. Now, I don't want to do that. But sometimes I just want to have a meltdown. Just like, I'm so tired of doing good. But Paul says... Uh, to the Galatian church, don't become weary of doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So it's a, it's a kind of a loaded verse, and it's kind of self-explanatory, but there is no silver bullet other than just keep going. Like sometimes we come to church, and we want to hear a nugget of truth that is going to be the thing that shifts and alters our mentality and our mindset, or maybe a God encounter where the Holy Spirit just fills you, and you just feel refreshed and regenerated. But in this moment, I just feel like the weight of Apostle Paul's ministry is just, listen, just don't stop doing good. It's an interesting thing, that term good, because it's actually from the root word of kindness in Greek, which is Christotus, and it actually means to be useful actually means don't stop being useful. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. And as Helen said it, you know, you do that kind of, oh, thanks for bringing me that verse. Thank you so much. When really in the spirit, you just feel like you're kicking the nuts. And you're like, oh, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me now. And it's just like, oh, don't become weary of doing good. For at just the right time, you will reap a harvest. So I guess ultimately, in a nutshell, 
And I'm not going to drag this on for the sake of it. But the, but the three the three things I want to say is don't give up. That's number one. Number two, keep doing good. Or if you like, keep being kind. And then the third point is the harvest will come. Because the more I'm in ministry and the more I'm in marriage and the more I'm in family and the more I'm in small group, I've learned this little truth that really helps. And it's this. Faithfulness precedes fruitfulness. So often we focus on the end product that it becomes demoralizing to our soul. It becomes a a source of weariness because we're kind of going, I just want to be fruitful. I want to multiply. I want to see this happen. I want to see that happen. And all the time God is just saying, I'm only looking for one thing. It's faithfulness. Because when all things end and when the push comes to shove, what God stands before you and says is this, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not fruitful servant, faithful servant. Sometimes that means you have to operate in the unknown. Sometimes it means you have to operate in the the realm of discomfort. Sometimes that means you don't have all the answers. But all you can do is offer faithfulness. What it may look like... putting cables in or serving coffees or, or being nice at work. Because like sometimes we reduce kindness to this twee little being nice. And there's a part of that, but kindness is so much more proactive. It's not passive. It's an aggressive posture, kindness. Let's just look at something. Matthew 14, 13 to 21. I think it might be on the Bible in the sky. Let's find out. There we go. Matthew 14, 13. Listen. So let me give you context for this. Jesus has just lost John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his cousin, a massive giant in the scripture, a hinge pin of the old covenant and the new covenant, has just been beheaded. Somebody who clearly had the hand of God on his life, somebody who clearly had the call of God in his life, has just been wiped out by some kind of control and power-hungry King Herod. And Jesus was bummed out by this reality. Okay, he was sad by this, but look at what it says, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. It makes sense, doesn't it? That when you lose somebody you love, when you're going through hell, when you're having a challenging time, that you just want a bit of R&R, you want to retreat, you want to just focus on yourself, do a bit of kind of self-therapy, a bit of just like calming down, a bit of um, de-wearifying, if you like. I don't know if that's a word or not. But look what happens. Hearing of this... The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Jesus was looking for a minute, but there wasn't a minute to take. Now, I don't know how you would respond in that moment, but for me on that Sunday, I'd just be like, I don't have any more energy to give another human being right now. Like, even my children went to bed without dinner that day. No, they didn't. They didn't, because my wife is amazing. But sometimes you get so peopled out, just like, flip. They're so exhausting. And it's not because they're bad. It's not because you're bad. It's just because it requires a bit of output. It requires a bit of energy. It's a bit of like, it requires a bit of ministry. It's an output. And Jesus in this moment is looking for a solitary place. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And if I was Jesus, I'd love it if he just says, chuff off everybody. (laughs) Go away. Find another teacher. But he doesn't. Listen, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Wow. 
Verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And I really relate to that. I'm just like, let the people look after themselves, please. That's what the disciples are saying. They're tired from a long day. Verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And where did they get that from? A little unsuspecting boy just walking, minding his own business. The disciples see him, take the food off him, okay, in love. And uh, they say, this is all we've got, Jesus. Taken this small amount. And then Jesus, I think in verse 18, he says, I think in verse 18, he says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Listen to this. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate that day was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So we're probably looking at about 10 to 15,000 people making a feast of five loaves and two fish. It's a remarkable story, and it's one that you'll be well acquainted with if you've been a Christian for longer than eight minutes. Um, But ultimately, the thing that grabs me about this is that Jesus wasn't in the ministry zone like in himself, he was in the retreat zone, yet the need called him and caused him to respond to the need before him. Compassion and healing. He didn't, not only did he not come with the ministry of chuff-offness, he came with the ministry of come and get fed. That's what the fruit of kindness really looks like. It operates from a deeper place. It operates from another place. It's not about just being a nice person. It's about drawing on the life of God and living out the life of God, and then offering that food to others. It's an amazing thing. And ultimately, this morning is maybe if you're feeling weary or tired out or burned out or at the end of yourself, let me just say it's a good place to be, providing it drives you to Jesus. Providing it drives you to God rather than yourself. In this moment, the thing I love about it, it was that Jesus was already in the rhythm and the habit of having quiet moments with his father regularly. He would get up early when everyone was still sleeping and climb mountains and seek the Lord on the top of the mountain. So that when he came into this mountain, when he came into this moment, he drew from a deep well that had already been established through habits and patterns. I think one of the challenges that I've had coming out of lockdown is that patterns and rhythms and habits all got kind of a bit messed up. I went a bit AWOL. Things that I was doing well pre-COVID, exercising, praying, studying the scriptures, kind of took a back seat coming out of COVID as I reverted back to physical output, physical output, do, 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 do. And in this moment, Jesus not only has compassion on the crowds and heals them, when the disciples want the people to go, Jesus says, no, today we're going to feed them. Now, There's so much I could say, but I'm really going to be so good. So I'm going to say really one thing. It's this. It's that the disciples, let's just say, take the boy out of the equation. That's in John's gospel, who brought the stuff. But the disciples had in their possession five loaves and two fish. And as they faithfully gave that 
to Jesus. Jesus took what was in their hand and multiplied it to the masses so that everybody in the crowd was full and it says they were satisfied, which means it wasn't like a, you know, like a logistical affair. Like one little nibble, pass it on. One little nibble, pass it on. Little fish, give, give the fish a kiss and pass it on, okay? Get some of that fish juice in your mouth. That's gross, okay? If you want, get your little crumb of bread, rub it on the fish's scales, put that in your mouth, there's your take. No, the picture we see in the Gospel of Matthew is one of being satisfied, is that they sat and they feasted and they ate. And here's the remarkable thing, is after they collected all the leftovers, how much was left? Twelve basketfuls. How many disciples were there wanting to drive the crowds away? Twelve disciples. So out of their lack and out of their limit, when they put it in the hands of Jesus faithfully, what they actually got was abundant provision in return. See, when you have little or lack, it's not the time to retreat and to become stingy. It's the time to sow goodness. It's the time to sow kindness, to keep giving. I've heard ministry put like this. My job is not to fill you up. It's to pour me out. And in this scenario, I just love this idea. I wrote a thought last night, actually. Listen, from their hands came the seed, but to their hands came the harvest. I'll say that again. From their hand came the seed, but to their hands came the harvest. They could have looked at the supply and going, we just don't have enough. Let's push and usher everyone away back to their day-to-day life. But ultimately, Jesus says, no, give it to me. And he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks. And then it just multiplies as it goes round and round. To support this, let me just say this. Proverbs 19.17, listen. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. When you're kind... It's like you're lending to the Lord. Like the Lord, this is crazy, but I'm going to say it. The Lord, almost like the Lord owes you. When you give, when you're kind to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. And he will reward you for what you have done. Proverbs 11:17 says this. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Galatians 6, 8, just if you need some scripture down your throat. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And then it says again, let us not become weary in doing good. This is the big challenge just this morning. And then I want to invite the band up. Because I just want you to remember this simple little truth. That ultimately... When you are weary, when you are tired, when you're burnt out, it's time again to reinvest in the wells of the Spirit. It's time to go deep again in the Word of God and prayer to God. It's time again to reestablish those moments with Jesus that build a strength and fortitude in your life that means that you can keep on going, keep on doing good, knowing that one day a harvest will come. It's an amazing thing 
Kindness, kindness, it sounds so twee and it sounds so nice, but it's such a powerful seed in the kingdom to be kind to people. I love in Acts 28, verse 2, it's an interesting thing. We read that Paul gets shipwrecked again. Man, I'm so hot with my sunburn. It's crazy. Um, In Acts 28, verse 2, we read that Paul, uh, oh, thank you. I thought there was a woman lying down then. I was like, what's she doing? All right, thank you, Blick. I appreciate that. Just a tiny little woman with a cape just there on the floor. Supergirl. Right. Acts 28, Paul is shipwrecked again, and they land on a little island called Malta. And it says something interesting. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. And I just love that phrase, unusual kindness. It means otherworldly. There was something about these Maltese people that was just like so different to everything they'd experienced in Rome and everything they'd experienced in Greece. And I was just thinking as I was reading that, can Sunny Hill be like these Maltese people who when people are coming through hardships, difficulties, shipwrecks, when their life is shipwrecked, that we can show and model unusual kindness, otherworldly kindness, a kindness that didn't originate with us, but one that originated with our Father We've heard all the prophetic words this morning about love, about hard love, about the fact that he loves us. All these things. And all it speaks to is this idea that you cannot give what you don't have. And so if you want to be a kind person, then you need to sit in the kindness of God. Understanding that he is kind all the time. In fact, in Romans 2, it's an amazing thing. Paul says, he says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Like, it's not the judgment of God. It's not the wrath of God. It's not the correction of God. It's the kindness of God. Sometimes in church, we work so hard to try to, um, you know, judge people into correct living. But the scripture kind of says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So I just think, fester on that for a moment. God is kind. God is loving. In fact, throughout the Scriptures, we see this kindness. Let me just read you one verse as an example. Isaiah 63, verse 7. Listen to this. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he has to be praised, according to all the Lord has done, for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel according to his compassion and many kindnesses. Ephesians 2 verse 6 to 7. This is, this is the God we're dealing with. This is the God that we see feeding the 5,000. Ephesians 2, 6 to 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. There's something beautiful, something incredible when we get a bigger vision of the goodness of God. There's something amazing that happens when as followers of Jesus, we kind of, we we get a more accurate picture of how our God is truly kind and good. By that I mean everything I prayed at the start. That the reason we stand here today is because of him. 
that the reason we breathe here today is because of him, that the reason that we've got hope tomorrow is because of him, and it all starts with him, and it all ends with him. He is the Alpha, he's the Omega, the beginning and the end. All I have to do is come in faith and receive the grace that's available to me through Christ. In fact, the word Greek, uh, grace in Greek is gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Why? Because he's a kind God. So if you want somebody to change, don't show them how bad they are. Show them how good he is. It's the key. And for yourself as well. I don't know what your situation is. But like, you know what's amazing is last Sunday, um, two people gave their life to Christ. Or actually, one on Sunday, which is amazing. I'm going to announce that again, right? Because you are supposed to be Pentecostal. Um, A person gave their life to Christ after church last Sunday. Yes, come on. Come on, so good. And uh, Jo as well gave her life to Christ this week, which is amazing. She's over there. Give us a wave, Jo. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I feel like it's one of those 80s game shows. Give us a wave. She's from Norfolk. Okay. Um, gave her life to... And, and it kind of is it's amazing because just as I was in the worship, I was just thinking, like, that's the Galatians passage. Don't become weary in doing good because eventually a harvest will come. Now, I'm not taking credit for that at all. But collectively, when we keep going and when we keep showing up, You may have times where you don't see the fruit, where you don't see the breakthrough, where you don't see the end product that you're looking for. But just keep going because beautiful moments like that happen. As you begin to sow in the spirit, people respond to the gospel. And my hope is that Joe became aware and the young man who got saved last week. What was his name? Alex. Um, That like when they come into church... They don't experience unusual judgment, but then they experience unusual kindness. There's something here that has the power to change my life. And it's amazing because it's not you. It's just you're like a signpost for the source of unusual kindness. He's a good God. And so like this morning, just as we conclude our time together, let me just give you three points They're really profound. And if you want more Bible verses, I've got stacks here, but we're just not going to do it today. Here they are. Don't give up. Keep doing good. The harvest will come. Faithfulness precedes fruitfulness. Let's stand together, shall we?